Hello and welcome back to our daily devotional podcast. Today we want to talk about God's, the larger picture of God's plan and God's will. This has much implication to us, although it looks like it is a, a talk on um, global issues, of, um, of historical issues. Yet I think it has great implications on how we live our lives and how we understand God's purpose for our lives as well as in history. We want to look at Acts chapter 13 and we'll read from verse 13 to verse 52. Acts 13 verses 13 to 52. This is Paul's discourse or Paul's monologue, his explanation to the Christians at Antioch. And as we read this, we realize that It gives us a lot of insights as to the way God works in history and the way God works through His chosen people, the people of Israel. Let us now pray as we prepare ourselves to listen to the Word of God. Let us pray. Father, still our hearts. Beyond stilling our hearts, Lord, allow us to know that you are God who has all things in your hand. That you are God who oversees the whole of creation, of whole of history, of every event that happens in history, the large scope of all things, where we are only tiny, tiny, insignificant players. And yet you are also a God who comes to us, each of us, small, insignificant people and you look at, look upon us as, as if we are the most important, that we are your beloved children. How amazing, Lord, is that, that realisation that as large and as unfathomable that you are, you also come to us, the smallest and the worst of sinners. Fill us, Lord, with understanding of this because we will be filled with great amazement at how you, the Almighty God, would care for us, little creatures. Speak this truth into our hearts, into our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 13, verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to him saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers, made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about forty years, he put them up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them the land as an inheritance. All this took about four hundred and fifty years. And after that, he gave them judges unto Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul the son of Kish, man of the tribe of Benjamin. For forty years... When he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the man, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, 
will do all my will. So this man, of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a saviour, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news, that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, the children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore he says also in another psalm, You will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him everyone who believes is freed from everyone from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region, but the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There are two com reflections that I have in this passage and they lead to the same conclusion. The first reflection then is on the wisdom of God. 
inscrutability of God. Here Paul was outlining the history of the people of Israel and how Christ eventually came from this history. But as Paul relates this history, we note certain things about the wisdom of God. First of all, that God began a nation, started the nation of Israel from just one man, Abraham, and his descendants, Isaac and Jacob. They were known as the patriarchs of the people of Israel. From these patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he brought forth a nation. But how could he have brought forth a nation in what, under what circumstances? And God's plan then was to plant Jacob through Joseph into Egypt. And it was in Egypt that there was incubation. Where else could this nation have grown? Where else could this nation have gotten their sustenance, their food, and to have reproduced and grown into a large nation? It was in Egypt. Doubtless, they were in Egypt for 400 years, and a large part of that was in slavery. But perhaps it wasn't such a large part. It was they, that there were several generations that still recognized Joseph. Joseph as the prime minister, as the head of all of Egypt. Though he was not the, the pharaoh, he was the second most important person in Egypt. And therefore, his family would have grown up in peace, in prosperity. They would have enjoyed the abundance of Egypt. And this grew to several thousand. It grew to, it became so big that towards the end of their time, the people of Egypt became very threatened and started turning this people into slaves. We don't know how long this took, but by the time the people of Israel left Egypt, it says that there were 600,000 men. That's huge. Now, there is a lot of dispute about the number. Some say that it was misread, that it could more likely be 6,000 or 60,000 and not 600,000. Well, I'll leave you to do the research there. But according to in Exodus, it is said that there were 600,000 men. So we'll take it as it is. Also, the period of time of 400 years was disputed. Again, they say that it was misinterpreted. Uh, some scholars say that it was misinterpreted. But then again, we wonder because here Paul in his argument said that it was 450 years. 450 years for them to form a nation in Canaan. Minus for the 40 years that they were in captivity, the 10 years that they fought to enter the land. That would um, give an estimate of 450 years. So it is possible that they were indeed in Egypt for 400 years. But be that as it may, I will not enter into this speculative um, debate. If you're interested, you may look up books or Google about how long Israel was, the people, the Hebrews were in Egypt, and how long it took them to leave, and the period of the judges and all that. I'll leave that to you. But I'll take the word of God as it is here at face value. That the people of Israel were incubating in Egypt. They didn't always have a good time. And I'm sure generations of them would have thought, sat back and wondered, why did God put us through such a difficult time? We were slaves. We were 
downtrodden and we needed to be saved. And yet God was preparing something greater. And as God led them out of Egypt, it says that he bore with them, he, he tolerated them for 40 years because of their great disobedience. And as they were led around in the wilderness, God continued to hold them to his heart. Even though they were so disobedient, God cared for them. And then the period of the judges. The period of the judges, if you're talking about 600,000 men plus children, it would be several million people. The judges were more local, parochial judges. There could have been several judges in different parts of Israel, but Israel was divided into tribes, the children of um, Jacob. And so within these tribes, they were not always united. They may travel, have traveled together. They may have fought together against the Canaanites. But they were a very disparate, they were disparate groups of people. And perhaps every tribe had a judge. Occasionally, the judge would preside over several tribes. But they needed someone to bring them together. And so there was a period of the judges. And at the end of that, people asked for a king. Now note this, that even in their disobedience, as the people asked for a king, they were fulfilling God's plan. And God gave them Saul. But Saul proved to be a bad king, and for 40 years he ruled. A king who was chosen by the people, a king who initially trusted God and obeyed God, but eventually disobeyed God. And God removed him and brought to them King David. It says that David, King David was a man after God's heart. And the nation of Israel was not only united, but it prospered, it grew to many lands. David has always been known as the one example of God's presence with them. He was the model king. He was the king that people looked up to, that wished would rule Israel for forever. And there was a promise then that from David's descendants would come one who would indeed rule over the people and over the nation with justice, with mercy, with compassion, with the ways of God. And this then leads us to Jesus. Now what was interesting then was when Paul said that Jesus um, was rejected by the Jews who lived in Jerusalem. But this is what it says in verse 27, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. The disobedience, the, refu the blindness of the Jews actually fulfilled the word of God, the prophecies of God, by condemning Jesus. How interesting is that that though these people went against God, though they fought against the people of, they fought against Jesus and crucified him, in their disobedience, they were actually fulfilling the prophecies that had been made about Jesus. And then Jesus was crucified and was raised from the dead. But this Jesus would not just be king over the Jews. This Jesus would be king over the world. 
And so we sit back and we look at all of the history of Israel, starting with the man Abraham, who was just one man who had, who at 100 years old gave birth to his, had a son, Isaac. And Isaac has his own, had his own problems. He had a son called Esau and a son called Jacob. And Jacob wasn't even the firstborn. And yet Jacob became the heir. And through Jacob, there was Joseph, who was the youngest, but who travailed greatly as a slave, sold as a slave, um, imprisoned, but eventually became the ruler of Egypt. A very checkered history. And then 400 years where the people of Israel, the Hebrews had to incubate, to grow into a large enough nation to be reckoned with. And then the kings. We see, if we were to look at this without looking at the hand of God, we would have seen a very checkered, messed up history. Nations rise, nations fall. Israel, holding the, the Hebrews holding a promise and then enslaved in a land, taken out only to travel for 40 years and then landing in a promised land that didn't seem to have much promise because the judges and the people did everything they did whatever they thought was right in their own eyes. Basically, there was anarchy. There was no obedience, no control, no unity. One would have thought that that would be the end of Israel. And then they got King Saul, who was a bad king. And then David, who led the Renaissance, the best time of Israel's life. But after David, things fell apart again. Bad kings... Um, defeat slavery into Babylon, exile into Assy by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. A very checkered history. It tells us several things. First of all, that those who think they stand take heed lest they fall. Whichever nation it is today, whichever powerful nation it is today, is not guaranteed to last a very long time. They too will fall. We begin to see the fall of the West even now, the anarchy, the, the mess, the chaos there is in the West. They too will fall. But even after that, other nations, they too will fall. And we need to take note of the word of God that says, whoever thinks he stands, take heed, lest he fall also. But we, in the same time, we see God's plan moving um, inexorably, moving ahead anyway, despite all these changes, all these falls, rises and falls in nations. That God had his plans, eventually would come to a man, Jesus Christ would be crucified and then would be raised. And from this, all nations of the world will come to God and be saved. In Romans chapter 11, verse 33 and 34, this is how Paul exclaims and muses, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out! Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? None of us can understand the way God thinks. In a smaller way within our lives, we see the ups and downs of life. One day we are prospering, the next day we are down, 
And yet the next day we are up again. Life seems so uncertain. And try as we might to even attempt to read God's mind, we cannot. What God calls us to is to rest in Him, to trust and obey. This is a beautiful hymn, it says, When we walk, to trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. It is not dictating to God what we want. It is not trying to second read, second guess what God wants. What God tells us is that we rest in Him, we trust in Him, and we obey Him. Because God's plan ultimately for the world, the macro view, is huge and inscrutable. As we look back, we begin to understand parts of it, but we'll still never understand most of it. But God's work in our lives too as individuals, and you know in the book of Acts, it's no longer about a macro view alone, it is about individual disciples and how God watches them, how God uses them, and how God leads them to great joy and rejoicing. It is this, that none of us will know the mind of God. We can know a bit of it as God reveals himself. But let no man presume to understand the mind of God. And then we let God take control. Which leads me then to the second point. And that is, what is the ultimate purpose of God? And right now into this difficult question of Israel and Palestine. It is a question that bugs us. So in this conflict between Israel and Palestine, Gaza right now, but the whole thing about the promised land should even the capital of Israel be moved from uh, Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. This debate on land and who should we, who should we support? It is a painful and difficult question. And even though we are removed from it, being in Singapore, ultimately we are also involved in it, being Christians. And when nations have to, governments have to make decisions, like when the Singapore government has to make a decision too, what is the input from the church? And so let us look at some of the issues. First, is that Israel is the chosen nation of God. Israel, God holds the nation of Israel deeply in his heart. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 11. Again, as far as Romans chapter 11, verse 28 to 31, as far as election is concerned, the Jews are loved on account of the patriarchs. Because of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Jews are loved on their account. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. This means that when God called Abraham, he would never revoke it. When he called Abraham, his his call and his promises to Abraham will remain. But in verse 30, it says, Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have become disobedient in order that they too may now receive the mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. God's plan ultimately is to have mercy upon the whole world, upon the Jews and the Gentiles. God's purpose for the Jews, 
was that the nation, the world, that the world would um, receive forgiveness of sins. In Acts chapter 13, verse 38, he says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. By him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. What this passage is saying is that the message of the gospel, the whole plan of God is the forgiveness of sins, is the reconciling of people to himself. That's God's main agenda. And what was the role of the Jews in this? That true they were the firstborn of God, true they are the apple of God's eye, true that God still longs for them as, as Paul says in Romans 9, I think, that he says that he would, he would, for the sake of his people Israel, he would be, choose to be condemned if there was hope for them. So Israel is very important to God, but what was their role? In verse 47 of Acts chapter 13, Paul says, I have made quotes from the prophecy, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Israel's role was to bring salvation to the ends of the world, to be a light to the Gentiles. That was what God chose the nation of Israel, what God chose Abraham to do, to bring reconciliation with God to the world. So the inheritance of the Jews is not land. Right now we keep talking about the land being the promised land of Israel, the land belonging to Israel and therefore in uh, at all costs, we must support Israel because they are the chosen one of God and this is their land. But the inheritance of the Jews was not the land. The real inheritance of the Jews was Jesus Christ, who would then save them from their sins and free them to do what the law of Moses could not help them to do, that they would live freely. The inheritance of the Jews is that they would be set free and their role in God's plan is to bring that news and that, that truth to the Gentiles. You see, we, we keep saying that we want to support Israel. How then do we pray for Israel and Palestine? We pray for peace. We pray for the opening of eyes. We pray that the people of Israel will turn their eyes to God. And we know that God is passionate about them. God loves this nation. And it's true then that whoever curses Israel will be accursed. But that doesn't mean that we support them in all the things that they do, in the evil that they do, in the cruelty that they do to the Palestinians. It is a complicated history. And I do not support Hamas either. But there are people in Israel and people in Palestine who are not part of this evil scheme of attacking each other and finding political means for their own purposes. They simply want to live in peace. We pray for these people. We pray that the gospel will be preached to them, that there will be others who will bring them together. Recently, I watched in CNN about a concert that was organized for the Palestinians and the Jews. They're just there to live their lives peaceably. 
They just want to live, to find freedom for their lives. And it is not our role then to side with Israel because they are the chosen ones of God. If we were to side with one, we side with the underdog, the one who is being cruelly treated, the ones that are being mistreated by the oppressor. Jesus has always been for the underdog, but not with force and not with might, but with gentleness. At the end of the day, it is not a fight over whether the land belongs to Israel or not, or whether the capital should be moved to Jerusalem or not. It is about the people being reconciled with God. That the people learn that their God is one of mercy and of compassion. That God treasures the Gentiles, the Palestinians, as much as He treasures Israel. And as long as Israel is not fulfilling its role, and as long as it's not receiving the inheritance, God continues to grieve, but we cannot support the people of Israel either. Because where they are wrong, then we who must speak, must speak the truth. In the, at the end of the day, Paul, though he loved Israel so much, he loved the Jews so much that he would he'd rather be condemned and separated for Christ for their sake. He says in Acts chapter 13, verse 46, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. And then in 50, verse 50, it says, The Jews incited devout women and leading men and stirred up persecution against Paul and Aunt Barnabas and drove them out of the district. And in verse 51, it says, But Paul and Barnabas shook off the dust from their feet against them. And he moved on to Iconium. Paul and Barnabas loved the people of Israel. But they were not, they would not be beholden to the people of Israel just because they were their own people, just because they were the chosen ones of God. They still had to shake the dust off their feet. I'm sure in the quiet moments Paul would still be pleading with God to open the eyes of the Jews because he continued to preach to the Jews. He never gave up on them. But it's one thing to love them, it's another to condone their sin and the rejection of all that is good. God calls us simply to follow the servant king, Jesus Christ. The king who gave himself up for us in the most trying of circumstances. The king who would embrace the sinner, the outsider, the outcast. That's what God calls us to do. We don't know how this will work out. We don't even know whether this will lead to Armageddon. We don't know how this will lead to great wars. God in His wisdom is in charge. In the meantime, we pray that the gospel will continue to be preached in Israel and in Palestine. Not the gospel of sectarian religiousity, but the true gospel that God wants to be reconciled with people. And then we allow, continue to allow God to lead us each step of the way. I know that there is still much to be debated. And, well, feel free to write to me if you disagree or if you agree. 
we can continue to pray about this very thorny issue. But I believe now that very firmly that we do not support Israel in all their fights against Palestine. Yes, I would oppose Hamas and I am very much against Hamas. It is the people who need peace and who need God. Let us pray. Father, you, your ways are inscrutable. Your ways are so impossible to understand and yet they are so wise. Who has understood your mind indeed? Even as we look at our own histories in how our short or long lives have been lived, you realize, Lord, that in your wisdom, you have guided us, you have engineered our lives, you have used us to be a blessing. We praise you for that. This we ask only, that you teach us how to rest in you, how to trust you, how to obey you. Through this totally unpredictable life, we ask that you just teach us how to trust you. But Father, we pray too for the situation in Palestine and in Israel. The violence, the bloodshed, the accusations, the claims to rights. And how Christians are also involved in this. Father, we pray that the people, the Jews, the people of Israel, will continue to open their hearts to know that you, Jesus, are their inheritance. It is not the land that is in their inheritance. It is not power, physical power. It is not military might that is their inheritance. It's not even intellect or scientific discoveries that they're so strong with. But it is Jesus Christ who is their inheritance. Reconciliation with you. And so we pray, Lord, that day by day you will bring Jews into your kingdom, even as you continue to bring Gentiles into your kingdom. And as your spirit comes upon them, that may there be pockets where your love is upon both Jews and Palestinians. And they may realize that where your spirit is, there is life and there is healing. We bring these, our prayers to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well then, have a blessed day and thank you. God bless you. Goodbye.